This is You Can Adopt, a series which explores and debunks many of the most common misconceptions about adoption in England. You'll hear first-hand experiences from many different people in all sorts of situations who've successfully adopted. Each episode is also hosted by recognisable voices who are sharing their own experiences of adoption. To find out more and to begin your journey towards growing your family, please visit www.youcanadopt.co.uk. Now, enjoy the episode. Hi there, you're listening to the You Can Adopt podcast series with me, Carrie Grant, and my husband, David Grant. <laughs> Today we're going to explore what it's like to care for a child with additional needs. For children with additional needs, the adoption landscape can be difficult. But as we're about to hear from our guests, adopting a child with additional needs can also be hugely rewarding for both you and your child. David and I have four wonderful children. We have three birth children and one adopted son. And they are a bit of a whole bag of tricks, really, aren't they, David? Yeah, um, you can say <laughs> They've that all got again. special needs. So in this podcast, we want to have a little look, as David says, about what it's like to raise children with those special needs or additional needs, as they're also called. Now, to join us, talking with us today are Claire and Paul, who adopted siblings aged six and four back in 2017. Welcome, Claire and Paul. Hello. Hello. Lovely to have you with us. So Tell us a little bit, first of all, about your journey towards adoption. Where did it start? Sure. Um, well, we we got married in um, 2012 um, and I had had um, cancer. So I had frozen some eggs um, prior to chemotherapy. Um, and so when we got married, we decided to um, kind of uh, hatch the eggs, thaw the eggs and um, and to try for, you know, biological um, children. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work. Um, so we considered other options such as surrogacy, egg donation and things. And we spoke obviously in depth a lot about it, but it just didn't seem to fit, um, for whatever reason. Um, and so we considered adoption and it just seemed to feel like the right choice for us. There were lots of children who need forever homes. Um, and I think knowing that we couldn't have our biological children ourselves, um, we knew we wanted a sibling group as well um, because we, we wanted not just one, but, you know, a, a family. Um, so that made uh, the decision um, to adopt a sibling group, um, yeah, quite quite easy, really. Did you guys have to come through a grieving process before you could get to that point of wanting to adopt? What was the kind of distance in time? Because I know for some times people go forward for adoption and adoption services will say, you're, you're not ready. You're clearly still grieving the fact that you're not able to have children your, yourselves biologically. So what, what was that like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you do need to grieve. Um, that's the right word for it. Um, it's a a very traumatic thing for you to go through, um, that realisation of, you know, um, you'll never have your own biological children. Um, and that takes time. For us, it was about three years um, until we started the adoption process. And I do think that you do need time to to grieve um, before you start the process. And I think social workers, when, when you do start the process, they are going to ask you that. It, you can't do it too soon. So when you decided to adopt, did you have a, a, in your minds an idea of the child you would want to adopt and what that child would look like? Or were you completely open? No, I'm not sure we had a, 
an exact picture of, of what it looked like. It, it, it felt more like a silhouette to us, right? Um, and a lot of those details were really a part of that journey we were about to embark on, right? As we started to fill in, you know, the ideas about sex and um, age, etc. You decided to go for the stereo option of not one, but two. When and how did you come to that, that stage? Knowing we couldn't have our own biological children um, and we wanted a, a family, a, a large uh, family, then we were, we were looking at a sibling group. Um, we were approved for two children and were considering groups of three. Um, we had the space for it. We had um, the energy for it. We were considered to be young adopters. Um, so we, we were looking at, um, lots of different, um, uh, profiles and family groups and things. They, they fitted so perfectly into our lives because our friends had gone and had children and we kind of missed out and watched them grow. And all of a sudden our children came along and it was great to go and kind of hit the ground running instead of having a newborn baby where we were kind of housebound effectively for a year you know, we went out and we, we went to um, amusement parks with them. We taught them how to ride bikes and to read. And, you know, we really kind of considered that to be the fun side of it, you know, and, and we started that straight away. And that was, that was great. And that, I suppose, um, was an unexpected pleasure from adopting older children as opposed to, um, you know, the baby perhaps that we thought we might get when we started the process. Yeah. If I could just take you back a little bit. For you guys, the adoption process, Paul, what was that like? How And how did that happen? Did you get in contact with someone? How did it come about? Yeah, so we, we started off going to um, a couple of alternative parenting type expos or, or, or conference meetings. Um, and that was really a part of the, the process where we really started to narrow our, our, our channel down into the adoption path. And, and through that process, we managed to pick up a, a number of um, really helpful pieces of advice from some key people along the way. And I think one of the key pieces of advice was that, you know, when you're out looking to, um, you know, partner your process with an adoption agency or a local council, that it's really important that that fit is very right for yourselves. When we started sort of almost interviewing with some of these um, partners, either adoption agencies or um, local councils, for example, there were a couple that we went to and there was, you know, a lot of positivity about it, but it just didn't really feel like, you know, a marriage that we, we were really looking for. Whereas when we had made our decision to go with um, the authority that we ended up choosing to go with, um, it just felt right. Almost like, you know, when you first walk into a house you're about to buy, there's a feeling of this is what's really right for us. And I think since we got to that stage and we were so comfortable within that decision, we never really looked back really it was you know it, it, it's been a, a journey of ups and downs but certainly more ups than downs as we went through that 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 process that relationship you've just mentioned there i think is one of the key parts to work towards if you're considering adoption because i think many of us just think oh well that's my local authority that's where i have to go actually it isn't and you are absolutely right it is like a marriage that relationship is going to be one that starts goes through the process and continues so it's really important yeah i found rather than than call when it being tested you know a short way into the process that it was um very much more like probably training 
right for what was in front of you rather than testing for how you are today i mean when you're asked challenging questions about you know the qualities or the capabilities of parenting that your parents have that you want to continue within your parenting journey you know they can be really quite thought-provoking instances in your life that that um almost makes you um grateful that you've been through that part of that process you know if you had gone through the more organic birth birthing process then you may have missed out on some of that you know what might be very helpful in the long run what did you find during that process it is a very intrusive process you have the social worker come to your house effectively every week um, ask you you know the most um, intimate questions about your your emotions and the trauma that you have gone through in your lives um, you know how you're parented um, all sorts of things like that um, and so you do feel a little bit overwhelmed perhaps um, with the level of questioning but actually it's so important for that social worker to to get that out of you um, because you need to understand whether you're over that trauma um, and also it helps when you're choosing children that social worker is so key um, for helping you kind of be matched with children um, that they are getting to know you as well and that's a really important process. Did going through that process have an impact on your relationship with one another? You learn more about each other that's for sure yeah that's quite interesting. We celebrate the milestones so much more than our friends with birth children. Everything our children achieve makes us so proud of them, bursting with pride and emotion because they've overcome. They're, they're so resilient. They've overcome everything that they've gone through. So we, we celebrate every single little thing. Perhaps we overdo it, but... No, I don't think you know, we do. I don't think it's possible to overdo it. No. I, don't, I really don't because... I think for so often when you when you adopt a child, just to celebrate them, just to make them feel like, you know, you've done something amazing here is is such a, a new and unique and enabling experience for them. It's it's fantastic. How were you able to distinguish that that what you were seeing wasn't just bad behaviour, but was actually a response to triggers? How how did you identify that? So the training is a huge part of um, that identification process, right? It, it puts you in really good stead to be able to identify a number of those triggers. Um, Claire and I sort of, um, you know, we talk about the kids every day. Um, we're, we're in constant contact, you know, with each other about exactly what's been going on, not only within our own space, but also within the child space. So we bounce a lot of things off each other like that. Um, in addition to the training that's provided as a part of the adoption process, we did things like listen to podcasts, um, you know, for a lot more practical tips than, than what you might have been on, on how to deal with um, some of the behaviours. And then in addition to that, um, as a part of, you know, with girls being adopted, we also access the um, adoption support fund, right, where we are able to provide our oldest daughter with um, therapeutic counselling and play therapy as a result of um, some of her needs. You mentioned some of the things that, that triggered the girls, that, that affected them, the changes of seasons as, as sort of present, as shown by the leaves changing colour, falling from the trees, etc. But But how did that impact their behaviour? What what did they do? We could share one of our stories and then you share one of yours. That, that might help. So with, with our son, he found it really hard to cry in front of us because crying made him feel weak and weakness made him feel ashamed and that 
feeds into the narrative that is already sitting there with his early life experiences. So he would run away if he hurt himself. He would never run to us. It took him about... We have, so we adopted him eight years ago, maybe four years for him to come to us when he's hurting. And when he first came to us, he would reverse into us. He wouldn't run with his arms open wide like a, a regular child that isn't adopted would do. So he would come to us and would hold us, but he was furious at being hurt. So angry that something had hurt him. Just banged his hand. It would invoke absolute fury. Rage. Rage. Then he would come to us. And I, so I wrote a blog just a year ago. So he, by then he was nine. So seven years into the adoption process, suddenly he couldn't stop crying when things hurt. And his little lip would go all trembly. And for us, that was such a big win. Because even though we were watching our child cry properly in a normal situation for the first time, that might be really a normal thing in non-adopted children. But in adopted children, it can be the biggest thing to find their tears. For the first he time, found, he didn't feel ashamed he to cry. just felt like... I'm safe, I'm held, I'm in an environment where I trust and I can cry in this place. And once the tears started, it would be for everything. It would be, I've, I, the door slammed too loudly, I'm going to cry. Um, I can't find my teddy, I'm going to cry. Just to be able to almost, and it is things like I can't find my teddy and he's 10. It will be things that he, you can see he's, he loves being young. He loves to feel like I want to recapture and reclaim those years where I wasn't able to cry. And it safely. Can be about, you weren't able to yeah, cry just, safely. It could be about silly things. And we noticed that that rage has now decreased at home. There's hardly any rage. There's still lots of rage at school, but hardly any rage at home. So your children are impacted by the seasons, by a season change. Yeah, and what sort of behaviours of... would you see during that time? Um, our eldest, um, her trigger at the moment seems to be hair brushing. Um, she struggles with understanding different emotions um, and how to handle anxiety, how to handle anger, how to hang handle happiness. It's all yeah. muddled in her head. Even happiness, you're right. We, she does this thing called, what well, we call it, self-sabotaging. She's grown up in a very stressful environment. She likes stress and disorganization. And um, so if something's going really well, she will, she'll play up, you know, and, and she'll do something. And, and this is what she's used to. She wants to be told off because, yeah, she, she's comfortable in a stressful environment. And this is the basis of some of the training that we've been on has been so fantastic in learning about brain development, um, for babies, of course, but but older children, when they've grown up in that environment in, and they've undergone such trauma, how did they get that trauma out? And our girls had, um, we had a, a lovely month when they first came to us, the honeymoon, the honeymoon. period. <laughs> we all know about that. It was great. <laughs> we all played beautifully and we went to bed nicely and everything. And then it started to unravel. So after a month, it started to come out and we started to have anger, like full on tantrums. You know, to have a six-year-old tantrum like a two-year-old um, is tough. There was a bit of regression took place. Um, and since then, we've we've tried to provide a safe space 
for those behaviours to come out. And everyone since then has said, you know, the fact that the children didn't play up in foster care is this self-preservation thing. They don't want to be sent away. So the fact that when they came to us, these behaviours started to come out, it meant that they felt safe enough in order to, to display them. Um, and every night we would say to them, you know, you're here now, we're your forever family, not going anywhere. And, and no matter how hard they pushed us, and my goodness, they pushed us, we always reinforce with, we love you very much and you're not going to go anywhere. But when you're dealing with these behaviors and, you know, our eldest was she's quite manipulative and, and she can turn it on and turn it off. And um, thankfully she's at school. She's not um, not playing up. It's all based at home. Um, and in a way, we feel quite sorry for her because she she's just about holding it together at school. Um, and that's fine. But when she comes home, it just. You know, it just yeah. comes out. When she feels safe. Yeah. When she well, feels it's exhausting safe. for her as well, right? You know, yeah. keeping it together all day at school is is a difficult task for a, a small a small a small person. We've had exactly that with our kids. And did you discover at any point that when you tried to explain that to the school, they treated you as though you were speaking about a child they'd never met? We we actually heard a story on a podcast early on in our training, right, about a. Um, a lady who was very kind to be sharing her story and she would talk of um, getting a phone call from the school where the school were told by the, the young child that, you know, he hadn't, mummy hadn't given me breakfast today and that he was really hungry. And she would look up at the ceiling and his porridge was all over it, right? Oh. And um, <laughs> so, you know, we had a little bit of an idea that that might be one yeah. of the, the outcomes that we, that we come to expect as we, as we sort of go through our journey um so that was having heard a lot of those antidotal stories beforehand were quite practical and and, and useful it's interesting but the reason why i i refer to it as a child they'd never met is because if when we found we'd say this is how it is at home the teachers would look at us as though we were talking about an entirely different child i find that with friends with family members yeah and to on some level with Paul, um, you know, Paul had some time off for adoption leave um, and, that, you know, went back to work. So um, I was spending time with the children and it's a very lonely place when they're playing up a lot of the eldest anger is directed towards me because she feels that if she shows me love, she's deceiving birth mother. Um, and so a lot of um, her frustration is, is aimed towards me. And yet if anybody else is around, including her therapist, she's this golden child. And it got to the point I thought, I'm so lonely because no one is believing what I'm saying. Um, and it's, it wasn't severe, but it was just enough just to kind of just to make you feel so, so flat um, and, and lonely. And I think, you know, the role of your support network is so key. Um, you know, and Paul would, would come and intervene at some points and, you know, you just need each other. I think that that's quite a common experience. I know that for our son, he'd, I was mummy number five. He'd never had a daddy figure at all. Uh, and this is obviously just in a bog standard male-female relationship. But so when David came along as a black man, our son was like, Wow this is amazing. I've never had one of these people in my life. So he immediately bonded 
to David, for which we were hugely grateful because all of our training had said if they can still bond, that's great. It doesn't matter if they've still got strongest. If they still bond, you know there's the capacity and the potential to make that connection. And he just would not bond with me at all. For months, it took about 18 months for our son to acknowledge that I was even in the room. He would run into our bedroom in the morning, jump on David and put his hand up towards my face in a kind of stop signal, like, do not come near me. The lady, we don't want her. I just love this man. And that was really hard. That's why I kind of did want to pick up on that. The thing you've just said about no one believed you, because I'm sure people did believe you, but actually you feel in that moment nobody's actually getting the amount of rejection that I'm undergoing here. They've gone, you know, the the girls have gone through trauma, but do you know what? We're here together and, you know, we are going to support each other through this. And, you know, no matter how much you push me or reject me, I'm not going anywhere. And do you know what? If you fall over, I'm going to be the one pick you up and put a plaster on your knee. You know, if you have a nightmare in the middle of the night, I'm going to be the one to come in and to soothe you. And, you know, and this is what makes, a mother this what's makes this is what makes a family and you know and it takes time it yeah, absolutely takes it time it's like any relationship because we know. had not um I'm not the mama I, we had that not the foster carer <laughs> and I think that's another area that that people face isn't it yes absolutely because our little boy felt as though his foster carer was home um he arrived there at four months old and was there till two and it felt like home and I honestly believe when he first came to us he felt as though he'd been abducted yeah I do think from he did he his foster family screamed every day yeah. for weeks and stood by the window waiting for her to come back that was the loss ours experience too um they've been in foster care a little while and when we talk about loss and trauma we just assumed it was birth family and and the fact Same. that they weren't necessarily going to see them again Wow, the real tangible loss for them at the time was those foster foster family because um, the family had children and, and um, so we had to help them through that and we kept in contact with um, the foster family. Um, we saw them. The children pined for them. I mean, they, they were brokenhearted. Um, but as time went on and they realized that that wasn't going to be a strict loss, yes, it's different, but we treat them now like an auntie and uncle and they're, they're there yeah, for celebrations. The and yeah, um, because they are part of their life and perhaps they were parents at number two and we're parents at number three, whatever, however they think of them, they are part of their, of their family. Ultimately, you become parents set forever and they become wider family. That's certainly what we've experienced over yeah. time, isn't it? Obviously, we're eight years in now and I would say in the last three or four years that really has changed they our our child is is our child it's like he does not have any other sense of mum and dad other than us he really doesn't and that I feel like that's such a huge win because we really had to fight for that we really did and I think that's I guess one of the messages to would-be adopters is are you are you up for the challenge but the rewards are extraordinary because you feel like their every last bit is fought for it might not be instant but when it happens it's permanent yes it's such an amazing feeling and somebody said to me on our approval panel um she had adopted and she said it will be a thousand times harder 
than you've ever thought, but a million times better. And that's just so true. That's exactly how I would sum up adoption. But the youngest from from very early on was, uh, yeah, <laughs> she she would look at us, look at toes, and she'd be like, um, my toes, are my toes the same as your toes? Because she just was so, so sure that I was her mum, that we would have the same toes. And you find yourself having to kind of explain, well, well, no, because you know, genetically you're different to me, but we can have the same toenails, we can paint them the same. We had uh, a life story book, and I think that's that's pretty standard with, with all adopted children, isn't it? Where you have their life story um, pictures prior to sort of them coming to you. Did that help or in any way hinder or did you have slow one? down development did you have one I, I thought we would but i don't know did you have one of those oh absolutely it helps and um i think one of the main reasons it helps is it brings that conversation to the to the to the front of the table for for the whole family right and and that the kids don't need to in any way feel like holding on to any of these memories which are very important parts of of who they are and and, and what their life has been um, is important to all of us as a family and that you know we don't need to keep photos hidden under the bed and 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 keep any type of secrets from each other in any way in our our son's life story book it has a picture of him smiling and a, in big words underneath it says i am adopted and it's trying to make that into a positive statement which for the first <laughs> we found for the first few years was not a positive statement but actually it's becoming a positive statement because he sees that actually i i wow i'm adopted that's special, amazing special i'm chosen yeah. yeah one of the things our really girls wanted. love is when um, they, like all children, like their birth story, tell me about the day I was born yeah. you know, on their birthday. Ours love. Tell us about how you chose us and, and, and why you chose us and, and the process. And we love telling them about this random day where our lives change forever. And um, yeah, and it's like you say, you can't change the narrative. You can't change their life story. But my goodness, you can build on it and make it better. Well, the first... The firsts, the first birthdays, the first holidays, the first Christmases, were they in any way clunky or difficult or not as you would imagined? Yeah, so we've been on a couple of holidays since since our adoption process started and the girls came to join our family. And one of the surprises through that process was the emotional roller coaster that packing a suitcase um, can bring up for for the girls, right? And And the suitcase represents leaving the house and moving and uncertainty and and a, and a whole range of 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 um you know emotions and 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 in particular uncertainty about what was happening regardless of of how you've explained what a holiday is and regardless that of must have been so frustrating because you're thinking this is a lovely thing we're doing and of course for them it's fraught with potential being left rejected right and, and it was and literally the suitcase that they had had in foster care and it started off with, you know, such a such a happy thought, right? We're going to go pack suitcases. We're going to get your little travel bag ready. Um, we're going to have a bag for the plane, and we're going to have a bag for the for the for the luggage. And all of a sudden, as we're working through that process, you can almost just see the fear start to drip into their eyes as some of those feelings start to roll back in. And um, I think a lot of the training set us very well for an example like that right where we were able to very quickly identify 
that there was a trigger going on for the girls at this point in time and that we were able to sort of really um, deal with it in a, in, a, in a very constructive way. There's an old African saying that it takes a village to raise a child um, and you're raising two. Could you tell us about your village? So I guess it consists of um, our house, but also um, we've got family members. You know, your family, your support network are, are key. They're the ones you, you go to when you're, you're in the trenches and you feel like, you know, you, 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 can't, uh, you can't do this. Um, so there's family, there's friends, of course. But in addition to that, you have this whole um, village and network specifically for adoption. So, um, firstly, you've got your social worker. So our social worker is incredible. She was there for the assessment phase, but um, she's been there kind of post-adoption as well. The other thing we've used, and this was actually um, promoted by our social worker, was the Adoption Support Fund. So the Adoption Support Fund is a massive pool of money from the government that if um, your adopted child has, has special needs, additional needs, um, you can tap into this money to get them therapy. So you can get money for them to be assessed, get money for their therapy. So our eldest has a therapist that comes to the house each week. Wonderful. Um, play therapy. Um, she's a she's a specialist, um, you know, play therapist. And took a bit of time for our eldest to kind of trust her. Um, but now she's been having her for a year and a half and she's just fantastic. And we're so grateful for that. And for the youngest, we've been able to use that money for um, for us to go on courses. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be for the child. Um, so that's that really is such a valuable thing. I have done a fantastic one called the Good Behaviour Breakdown. And we would recommend probably non-violent resistance as a... NVR. NVR. Yeah. Anything else? Um, at school. So um, adopted children get a priority place at school. So when we were choosing which school to send the girls to... Um, the, the school effectively made places for for our children. Um, we went around the school and we spoke to them about what support they have. So at the school they're at, they have a sanctuary room. There's a school counsellor. Um, they hit their educational needs, but they also help them with their you know developmental needs, their emotional needs. And that was a really key thing for us when we were choosing a school. They also have a pupil premium. So it's the money that the school gets specifically for the child. So you could use that um, for any you know, school counsellor that they might need or one-on-one -on -one support from a teaching assistant. Um, so this is really important when we're looking at schools because that could be a school that's slightly further away. But because your children are adopted, they can get access. That's what you're saying, isn't it? All this paints a picture of um, children not just being adopted and then the authorities sort of like washing their hands and saying, well done, off you go. They actually stay with you for the journey. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a it's a lifelong um, commitment that they're making to these children. But also within each local authority or charity, you have a post adoption support team. So um, I love these guys. I do. They're great. <laughs> they're yeah. my favourites. <laughs> so they're involved with um, with letterbox contact, for example, with their family, um, all the way through to uh, additional courses you might want to go on. Um, they help with the funding application. So you actually, as the adopter, don't have to do do anything really. They, they'll come and perhaps do a annual assessment of the child to see that whether the therapy is actually making a difference or whether it has to be adapted. But um, yeah, they're a really, really great resource and we're lucky to have them. You know, I can say hand on heart that it is making a difference to, to um, 
um, our daughters and to us as a family. Has it been, have you had as much support as you had hoped for? We have had more support than we could have hoped for across the board. Um, I have felt quite lonely at certain points um, when my daughter has been behaving um, in a particular way. Some of it targeted at me as the mother. Um, and for me to know that I've got this big support network around me of friends, family, social workers, of, you know, therapists that was available. And we had to we had to organize it. Of course you do. And it can take a bit of time. But it has it's been very life changing, really, um, to know that you've got um, the support you know, regular support as well. It's not as though someone comes in for half an hour once a month, kind of opens up this wound in the child and leaves you with the fallout. Absolutely not. They are there. They're committed. Remember, on parenting, there's always, almost everyone in the village has an opinion on on how to be helpful and how to give advice. And um, the support is so targeted at adopted children and it's so specific to those sort of needs that it becomes much more meaningful than some of the more generic advice you might get from other people within the village. So what are the girls like around big family events? The girls are a bit nervous because they they feel like they're kind of um, in our family and it's our traditions and things. Um, and one Christmas we were doing the tree together and I always put the snowman on, a bit of music, got the fire on, and it's all very lovely. Um, and the eldest said, why do we always have a star on the tree? I want to make a new tradition. And we're a new family now because we're part of it. And she said, on odd years, I want a star. And on even years, I want an angel. So off we go to the shop and we go and buy an angel and that's our new tradition. And so we're doing that a lot with um, with special events and birthdays of just, we're transforming it into what um, we want to do, how, how we are evolving as a family. We're making new traditions together. Yeah. Creating new memories, isn't it? As well, good memories. And in, and and I mean I, I guess most parents would go yeah that's fine but there are there are also times we like it's fine having a star but you don't realise to, to that child no it's actually a really big deal yeah. <laughs> I want the angel and then I want it every other year not every year <laughs> it's got to be exact to my program it's about oh, it's control got to be exact. Isn't it? yeah yes absolutely and this is one of the the key things for our daughter is control she has lost control of, of everything in her life. And so much of her behavior is, is control-based. So siblings, you know, when they play together, there's always a bit of bickering. But my goodness, lots of the fights between our girls are because the eldest is trying to control the youngest. And the youngest has grown up and she's pushing back now. And oh my God, the fights they will have. When you adopted, um, were you aware that, uh, that your, your children had additional needs? Our eldest has, she has additional needs because of the trauma um, and of the things that she has, has seen and um, that she's gone through. So we weren't necessarily aware of it at the time. I think now having adopted and being so far on, the realisation that most adopted children have trauma. My goodness, they've been taken off their birth family Children aren't taken off birth family for anything other than a significant issue, whether they're directly affected, whether they've seen something or whether, you know, they've been at risk. That is going to affect children. 
and that will come out whether it's straight away or whether it's later and I think um, you have to be realistic when we're adopting these children. I think the journey you go through particularly once you're engaged with either your authority or your adoption partner is really helpful in how it really helps you understand how to match the needs of a child with the um, love and care and attention that you have to give and support that child with that that becomes really important because there are there are there are limits to what each um, set of parents can give a child in terms of any type of additional need or even special needs and and having a self-awareness as to um, where you are in in your ability to provide versus the child's needs I think it was a really important part of, of that journey that you go through early on in, in the process. I think one thing I wanted to pick up on in terms of matching the need was something that, David, you went through during our adoption training when they said, you know, adopting is a lifelong journey. And there was this sense that a little bit of love can't heal the issues that have been raised. Absolutely. You really found that hard, didn't you? I did. I think that I came into I came into adoption with a naive belief that just love solves every problem. And actually, that isn't the case whether you adopt or give birth. What you're dealing with always is, is a unique and identifiably different individual. You know, your child, whether they share your DNA or not, is themselves. They are who they are. And I think it's been quite a journey. I was saying to carry on the way in here that for me, it's been quite a journey to realize that the difference that love can make might mean going from minus 10 to minus 5 rather than minus 10 to plus 10. It always makes a difference, yes. But actually, I can't superimpose my expectations on on our children. Um and I can't superimpose my expectations on our, on our adopted child and say, this is what I am going to do for your life. And I, I don't know about anybody else, but certainly when I speak sometimes to people about adoption who haven't adopted, there's an element of that in their thinking that I'm going to be the transforming agent in the life of these people. And that's not always the case, is it? No, I think love isn't necessarily enough. But your love will for those children will you will advocate for them and you will realize that perhaps you can't solve all their all their problems. And at that point, you will go and reach out to the specialists and go and get the additional help that perhaps you as parent can't can't provide. And that's a really humbling experience thinking, am I failing? You feel like you're failing, perhaps. But there was a moment when my daughter, um, she was banging her head. Um, she was very upset and she wanted to bang her head to forget the memories. Um, would we call it self-harm? Perhaps some people would. Um, it was very, very confronting to see. And I hit rock bottom at that moment because I watched this little girl banging her head, trying to forget her memories. And I thought, what do I do with her? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to how to help her do I pick her up and wrap her or, or, or it was it was a really difficult time so at that moment right let's get the experts in and let's let someone else kind of 
nurture her and um, provide therapy to her. The love I have for her is is fueling that need to um, get the kind of the experts in and fight for her and fight for her. That's and, we part, do. and that's what love does, I suppose. Ultimately, in a way, David, you are right because it is about love because love makes us do the most extraordinary things to meet the needs of our child to match their need as you were saying Paul what would you say then let's finish on this to people who are considering adoption and they might be just a little bit scared by our episode that we've just done here because it is about the more tricky side the challenging side the additional needs what would you say to those people if anyone's considering adoption, I would say do it. Start the process. Go and start um, the conversation. Go and go to an information evening. Um, but also never be scared to ask the questions. You know, these adopted children, um, they, are, they are incredible, resilient little humans. And you have a choice about who you adopt you know if you go to the local authority it's not as though they're just going to give you form the queue and you just get the first child that's available to you you have this this wealth of of information on the children and you know you do make a choice and it's sometimes a very very hard choice and I find the most difficult part of the process was choosing the children I mean how could you possibly you know say yes say no to some children and yes to others um but never be scared of, of asking for more information. Speak to the social workers, speak to the teachers if they're at school, speak to the nursery worker, whoever. Get as much information on the children as you can. Paul, for you, what would you say to any potential adopter? I think in life you very seldomly meet people who would regret having their own children. And I think the same for all the adoption, all the adopters that we've ever met, right? Um, I've never heard any real negative um, regret or... You know, I've heard stories of triumph and, and, and success and adversity, which is then offset with happiness and, and, and joy. So I would, um, I would encourage everyone to, to, to look at adoption as a part of the process for completing the family and, 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 and the dreams that, that, that your family really have. I would say that I am somebody I would never have been had I not adopted and I have discovered resources within myself that I didn't know were there. And I am a far, far better person for having done it. And, and that doesn't even involve the impact it's had on our son. Actually, it's transformed us for the better. I would say that you probably aren't the parent that you're going to be. And I think it is as much about your journey as a parent as it is for your child coming into the family and realizing this isn't going away you know that realization and the journey that they need to take I think as a parent when you start out you're not going to know everything you can't possibly have all the tools but actually as you go along love is driving you to reach out for those tools and become the parent that you need to be for that child Thanks for listening to this episode of You Can Adopt. The whole series features many different and interesting stories from adoptive families, so please do check out the other episodes. For more information, visit www.youcanadopt.co.uk and begin your own journey towards growing your family.